Welcome to Passion Play Profit. I'm your host, Peter Liu, and I'll be interviewing both young and grizzled entrepreneurs to teach you how to find your passion, play, enjoy, persevere in the game of business, and get rewarded for it. Today, I'm privileged and honored to be joined by a fellow Cornelian and the founder of Amberjack, the company that made the number one ranked dress shoes by Rolling Stones. He was an engagement manager at McKinsey, helped McDonald's corporate strategy and development, and was a strategic private equity advisor for Everglades Equity. This is someone making waves and fixing the way our planet approaches consumer production. Jonathan Peters, welcome to the show. Let's talk about how you've turned your passion to play to profit. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, excited to uh, chat with you. Always happy to uh, meet and talk with a uh, fellow uh, Cornelian. Let's do it. So first question, I want you to kind of take us back to college, right? Back to Cornell, freshman through senior year. If I was your friend, how would I describe you, right? What were you known as? Who did you find yourself to be? What kind of niche did you fill? Uh, you said freshman through senior, senior year? Yeah, senior. <laughs> or how that evolved over time, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think it evolved. Maybe I think I started not super serious uh, mm. about, you know, if I had decent grades going in high school, uh, getting to school, that wasn't like overly serious and probably more of like um, almost like took pride in like being lazy a certain, in a certain sense. And I was just kind of more, you know, what's like the easiest way I could get from A to B. And then I think like maybe towards the end, I, I, I think I started to, you know, one, I think some of that excitement about college, it's still a great time, but you start to be like after three, four years of kind of partying, you're kind of like, all right, I'm ready to, um, you know, transition into a more serious yeah. a part of my life and enjoy that kind of aspect of it. So I think by my senior year, I think I was like fairly, you know, quite serious about what I was going to do next partially because I was thinking I was probably trying to play catch up like from mm. the earlier yeah. year. So I was, yeah. I think I like basically the first like two months of senior year, I was like, oh, shit, I really got to get a job. So I spent <laughs> like basically just locked myself in a room for yeah, literally like two months and like just prepared. Uh, and so, right. so some of my friends will attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. And um, you know, it's nowadays, you know, the, the general, I guess, sentiment is gun to the head. You got to get a job or else you kind of like effed right afterwards. So it's kind of a um, almost like there's an element of FOMO where you feel like you're definitely missing out on something and you don't have a sense of stability. Right. So it turns out that it works pretty well in your favor. Um, you know, you afterwards, I think you went on and did a summer internship at Morgan Stanley and afterwards, um, you know, worked at McKinsey, which are amazing companies that, you know, only students can dream of, right? Potentially working for out of college. So what kind of led you to make those decisions to work for those companies? Um, and I guess during your time there, uh, what did you notice as some of your strengths and weaknesses, um, mm. you know, working at McKinsey? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think like just for context, so like I studied, um, I was in AIM, which mm -hmm. I guess is part of the, I think still part of the CALS program. I'm not sure. Yep. I know they always moved around. Yep. I think they call it Dyson now, but um, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so it, you know, if anyone speaks about there, it's usually a big feeder program into like finance in New York City, investment banking, probably like one of the biggest, um, next steps and so that was kind of like what i was planning to do um i had done a sales and training internship my uh, junior summer 
out in Hong Kong actually, which was a great experience. And, um, but again, that was more like, I was just, uh, my junior year, I was like, Oh crap, I gotta like apply for jobs. And like halfway through my junior year, I was like, every, everything was actually already kind of taken. So I was scrambling at the last moment. I had like, that was my only offer that I got for the summer. So I was like, sure, I'll take it. Um, and so I was definitely behind. So then going into my senior year, you know, investment banking, recruiting, a lot of it is contingent on um, your summer internship. So most of their full-time hires are actually from their junior summers and a very small percentage are, are full-time straight, you know, without having done a summer internship. And so I was at a bit of a disadvantage there. So I was really trying to like, again, play catch up, reach out to a bunch of firms. I was lucky enough to, to get a few different investment banking offers and I was like very close to um, uh, signing with one of them. And then I had applied to McKinsey just kind of on a whim, um, uh, knew someone that had worked there and they spoke very highly of the place. And I, I, I liked the finance stuff I was doing. I enjoyed kind of math and the quantitative aspect. I wasn't really sure that's what I want to do long-term. And I kind of always found myself a little more attracted to like the operational side of business. Yeah. And, and I thought McKinsey would be a nice mix. And so I was very excited. Um, I did get an offer there. It was like a mix of M&A and finance work and more operational like growth, growth work. Um, and so I ended up taking that. And I think it was, and just in general, I think working at some of these big, you know, more prestigious firms is a great way to get started in your career if you can do it yeah. because the learning is, it's really, really rich. Um, mm-hmm. And while I'm always, you know, a proponent of entrepreneurship and I think if you can get earlier, you can get started in that, the better. Right. Oftentimes, I think if you don't have that kind of more formal training ground, you're yeah. missing out on a lot of learning that, frankly, you're not going to get in college and, and yeah. frankly, you're not going to get in in an entrepreneurial setting either. And I know, right. you know everyone can make their own path and, and you can make whatever work. But I really do think unless you have some burning desire yeah. or something that's really working quite well already, yeah. which is very hard as a, as a college student, um, take that formal training, go to a big company, work your ass off for a few years. Right. And you will have more doors open than you had 100%. previously and there won't be any doors that have closed. Um, and so I think that was a very, uh, that was my thought process going to it. I ended up staying there for five years. So it was a little bit longer than I had thought I was going <laughs> to yeah. stay, but I, it was all, I think meaningful. And I felt like the, the, you know, that's a company where you, you're constantly kind of challenging yourself and the, and the learning curve is never kind of like thins out. Um, yes. and so, um, there's a lot of kind of feedback and I mm-hmm. think you start to, you know, develop those like soft skills 100%. that um, aren't really taught until you get into a setting yeah. like that. It's kind of like setting the foundation for you, right? Not only just the knowledge, but also the um, the network as well from the people that you do meet in these industries and people you do interact with, whether that's, you know, the clients and your other team members. So yeah, know, exactly. Again, it's, yeah. Like, uh, it's a crash course, the mini MBA, Right. It's better than an MBA, in my opinion, but um, that totally makes sense. OK, um, kind of moving on from that. Right. Um, you know, for five years at McKinsey, yes. You know, even though it's five years, it's still, you know, a lot of time. Um, and you were an engagement manager there. Right. Which was in a position where you're managing other people. 
um, and, you know, directly interacting with um, potential clients. So, you know, during situations like this, plus, you know, the business that you have built, you're in a lot of these leadership positions. Um, what were perhaps some of the principles that you always adhere to when it does come to leadership, right? And guiding others. Um, and maybe perhaps how has that evolved over time? Yeah, I think um, I think I've, I'm definitely not an expert in that regard. I think it's something you constantly learn. And I don't think it's right. something you're like good or bad at to start. I think it's a skill set you develop just like mm -hmm. a, working for other people or doing a specific yeah. and piece of analysis or speaking to clients in a certain way. They're all skills. So I think learning to manage people is a skill that everyone will learn in their career. And it, you just constantly build on it. So I'll definitely say, I think when I started, you know, I was, I think it's nice because they'll let you progress at the speed that you right. can progress at. So, mm -hmm. um, so I was a manager there when I was, I think like 24. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so when you're a manager there, you're managing, um, like analysts and, uh, associates. Um, yeah. and oftentimes experts as well. So a lot of times the teams you're managing are like post MBA associates mm. from HBS or right. GSB or you right. know, very smart people, right. That are also yeah. very like motivated stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> they, oftentimes wow. they don't, they don't really appreciate, uh, a kid that's, you know, yeah. two, three years out of college right. now managing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so that was a bit of a, of a, of a learning curve for me, just how do you work with people like that in an effective way, um, in a way that they're happy and productive, um, and you guys get what you need to get done as well. I see. I see. Um, and so I think at first I was probably, I probably leaned towards more, you know, micromanaging and, you know, and then I think I would, ironically, probably as I was kind of more thinking, I'm planning to leave this firm. Cause I, I, um, I went and worked at McDonald's for a period of time based yeah. on, a, on a loan. And then I came back. Um, and in that last year I was there, I kind of knew I was going to leave I to go see. do something. I so I was a little okay. bit more relaxed. And ironically, what I learned in that period is, you know, what I might've otherwise asked someone to redo. I was yeah. kind of just like, whatever, like, I don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't care that much. Yeah. Ironically, that ended up being a more productive mm. kind of environment the work was just as good, if not better in terms of the client, you right. know, right. satisfaction and the team was a lot happier. And so that just kind of taught me, like, you kind of have to pick your battles and, yep. um, nitpicking small things ultimately is actually counterproductive I most see. of the time. And you have to learn where is it worth, you know, adding churn and yep. digging in. And I think that's true on the inverse as well when you're being mm -hmm. managed or having work to be done sometimes it's good to disagree on things a lot of times for something small mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just you know it, yeah. there's no need yeah. be collaborative exactly. and do exactly. it and, and trying to figure out that balance is a really right. important part of starting your career yeah it's never rocking the boat right to one side or the other but perfectly aligning in the middle to streamline it yeah and, and if you do want to rock the boat it's got to be a good reason and, yes. I, and i think like you know mckinsey has this um saying um mm -hmm. uh it's like the obligation to dissent i forget the exact reason but it's basically mm -hmm. you know they say it's your obligation if you disagree 
I took right. that very literally when I started there. So I was, uh, and I got uh, feedback after like three or six months. I did really badly my first like three months there uh, for six months, really. Uh, like the media, <laughs> they're like, you are a really pain in the ass to work with. And like, <laughs> you need to change. And I was like, but it was an important, I didn't like hearing that. Uh -huh. I was like, okay, that's right. that's right. Like, I understand. Like I'm, I'm arguing with the manager about exactly things that are pointless mm -hmm. and whether I'm right or wrong doesn't actually matter because these 100%. are really going to make or break 100%. kind of the outcome. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Like you said, pick the right, pick the right battles and uh, the battles that important that are the most important, right. That uh, can actually yeah. change and influence. So awesome. And, you know, obviously even, you know, in, in 20, you know, when you're 24 managing people, that's a pretty, pretty, you know, steep you know i guess increase over time right and you're i guess in progressed pretty fast so when you did um i guess decide to leave uh mckinsey um right to do private equity afterwards and then right after private equity um you started amberjack um what were you know some of the feedback that you got from your friends and from your peers when you decided to take on the entrepreneurial journey right the journey that's unknown to begin the business and um how did you find the passion and the courage to do that yeah like i'll just speak from my own experience it's probably different for every person that started mm -hmm. a business i think for me it was like always something that i had wanted to do like forever yep. just start a business and i just knew if i look back at my career i never tried to do that it would i would be really unhappy um, mm -hmm. regardless of what i had achieved and so i knew that's what i wanted to do i actually kind of took it on myself where it was really the timing was just based off my personal circumstance where I was, you know, I think at the time, maybe uh, 27, 28. Yeah. And I said, you know, it was not married and it didn't have yeah. uh, debt and, and, and had some savings. And I said, look, this, if I'm going to do this, it's kind of like the time to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had done consumer work almost, um, entirely at McKinsey. I really enjoy that work. Right. I love the kind of psychology of, of like why someone buys something and, and I'd worked with some players in the, in the footwork category. And, and mm -hmm. I thought, you know, there's an opportunity to do something for mm -hmm. younger guys in dress shoes. There was yep. really not much evidence that guys in that demographic have a, a really kind of satisfactory right. experience when buying dress shoes from a product, from a brand standpoint. And so could we do something modern that appeals to that mm -hmm. younger demo and in the thirties is really kind of our core guy. Um, and so I decided to leave. So I had to quit. So we can be very generous with, we give you a period of time to kind of figure that yeah. out and all that. Yeah. And they pay you full, fully paid for like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's like awesome. five months or something to like figure wow. out what you want to do. But, <laughs> wow. and, uh, and, uh, so I decided to leave. And then, uh, you know, my parents thought it was a really stupid thing to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, <laughs> they definitely had some uh, good rationale, I think. Um, if you leave a job that's risk-adjusted, it's like yeah. a very, very high-paying job. Mm -hmm. And you go to something where risk-adjusted is is a very, very low-paying like, right. job, just if you right. take into the, the, the most likely outcomes of both yeah. scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, we spent like a year, um, over a year, like on this on this product kind of things. Um, we were actually developing in Korea for a year. Um, yeah. And at the end of that year, the product was like nowhere near where I thought it should be. I see. And, and so we had to make a decision basically to like 
kill that whole thing after a year wow. and start over, which would probably be a, a good point to have quit if I was ever going to quit. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a very natural point to mm-hmm. just give up. But I, I think I was almost just like too embarrassed. I was like, geez, it's been a year, didn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to at least figure it out. So yeah. we ended up moving to Portugal um, and uh, basically recreated the whole thing in like a few months, mm. um, leveraging a lot of stuff we had learned. But uh, a lot of the tooling, the machinery had to like rebuild and redevelop. And mm-hmm. um, we launched the, the product at the end of 2020 to get feedback. And yeah. then we did our marketing launch um, in May of, of 2021. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I guess your first iteration failed like that, like that horribly, I guess. Um, but it's <laughs> that, that speaks it, yeah. testaments. <laughs> that speaks, you know, volumes about, I think, just the persistence, right, of uh, you as an entrepreneur and your ability to handle adversity. Because that was, that was my follow-up, which was, you know, I guess, can you speak a bit about how did you, how were you able to fight past, right, that failure, right, in terms of the feeling elements of that, right? Because your day-to-day is probably, you know, shit, if you feel like, nothing was done right in a year Mm. so how did you keep mentally sane at that period of time still motivate your team right Mm. and then keep yourself locked in on the mission that you were in right because that's not easy to do yeah well my team at that point was really just me (laughs) we we (laughs) actually had a uh, um a partnership with a few guys it was like a design development agency we had to terminate Mm. so it was very messy and at that point, it was really just me. So I had to hire new people. And um, I mean, yeah, what I'd say is like in general, like starting a business is is dealing, probably the most important thing mentally is dealing with the ups and downs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if you think about just like a chart, and I know this is just mm-hmm. audio, but like if you think about like the waves on a chart, like the, the peaks and valleys are just a lot more, um, right. exaggerated in entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and the stress is oftentimes related to the peaks and valleys from like more of an existential st- standpoint yeah. than it is like the pure day-to-day stress which you'll have in investment banking right. or finance or consulting where you you're like working your ass off and you got you got to give someone to somebody and you, yeah. you are stressed in that setting too the stress kind of changes a little bit we don't have that same mm-hmm. person breathing down your back but you have you know more existential Exactly. Hey, I just spent a year exactly wasting my time. Like I'm a total idiot, yeah. right? Like how right. how is how is this possible? Like how do they make these like, exactly. decisions to arrive at this point in time? And like being able to to deal with that is it's again that's not like a binary thing. It's mm-hmm. it's something a little bit like a muscle where at first it's probably like uh you know it's like creating mm-hmm. like almost nausea <laughs> you know you want to throw up 100%. <laughs> and then yeah. over time we still deal with some valleys like that yes. by the way now you just try and have the belief that as you do the right thing yeah you know you recover and you get a little more comfortable exactly. with some of those those down points and a little bit right. more manageable you know 100 uh, you get like a little bit of a thicker skin right so when things like that happen again you have the exact same playbook you can use um you know emotionally physically things along those lines yeah, so yeah i guess i guess kind of to add on to that other point right um because you mentioned you still have issues like that down the road and you can definitely expect to have issues down the road um just to dive into a little bit more of details and just the operations of your business um yeah is there still problems that you have to this day that you cannot solve or that you have trouble solving and why do you think that's the case 
and do you have plans to, and ways that you potentially want to approach solving those problems? Yeah, for sure. I would, I would reframe the question slightly. It's hundred percent. We have tons of problems always. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not so much that we can't solve them. It's that is what we're doing here. It's not, right. it's part of, you know, it, it's almost not necessarily a problem. It's, it's how you build a, you know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be this way and yeah. these things are happening and we need to get, it's, those things are happening as a part yeah. of the process of developing. And yes, 100%. there are issues and challenges and problems. Some of them are incredibly frustrating. take a long yeah. time. Like we have we're constantly working on leather, like just as a side yeah. note, like leather is like a, a beast of a material because it's a natural material. Right. If you're working with natural leathers, like we are, you don't you don't coat it um exactly. with a bunch of uh paint um mm-hmm. what they call it's just like kind of coloring and so you're you're dealing with all the defects every animal is different like literally yeah. it comes from yeah. an animal right they're yeah. raised differently and they grow differently um and um sorry i'm looking at my wife's um the and so that's one like we're literally constantly trying to improve and optimize like mm-hmm. for like years um and will probably continue to be um continue to be the case um so yeah i just think it's really more um kind of a part of of the experience in terms I of see. um dealing with challenges as opposed right. to uh kind of getting down got it got it about it um if I that see. makes sense that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And I guess to wrap things up, my final question is like, let's all, you know, ask everyone, which is just, um, you know, obviously you've done a lot with your life, right? Um, is there a certain legacy that you want to be known for, right? That you leave behind in this world, um, you know, to everyone in this world and, you know, to people at Cornell as well. I don't know if I can answer that right now. Maybe ask me that in, um, <laughs> in yeah. 10 years so we can do a follow-up. Uh, yeah i'll, I'll reach out don't worry i got you 20 years uh, i'm sure you'll we'll do a part sure two you'll be uh very successful in your career at that point and we can uh we can yeah. do part two let's do it let's do it man okay again john thank you so much for your time this has been an absolute pleasure this toolkit will serve as a ton of ammunition for the entire cornell entrepreneurship ecosystem really appreciate it man oh definitely yeah appreciate taking the time peter and um enjoyed the conversation yeah take care